how's it feel that uh, Taylor Swift has finally put you on the map? <laughs> Shout out to Taylor for uh, for pulling up. That was pretty ballsy. That was pretty ballsy. Yeah, I um, I just thought it was awesome how everybody in the suite had nothing but great things to say about her. You know, the the friends and family. She looked amazing. Everybody was talking about her in uh, in great light. And on top of that, uh, you know the the day went perfect for Chiefs fans. Of course, <laughs> we scripted it all, ladies and gentlemen. Like you said on that Thursday night game, I'm enjoying life. Um, and I sure as hell enjoyed this weekend. Uh, so everything moving forward, um, I think I, I think me talking about sports and saying all right now will have to be uh, kind of where I keep it. Travis Kelsey with his brother Jason talking about Taylor Swift's present in the luxury presence, excuse me, in the luxury suite with Mama Kelsey at Sunday's game, the forty-one to ten win over the Chicago Bears. I saw multiple reports last night that she will be present for the Sunday night game. Jets hosting the Chiefs on NBC. Fascinating to see what the ratings do when all the Swifties tune in to catch a glimpse of Taylor Swift. And I wonder how many shots there will be of her. You got to keep the Swifties engaged. How often will Rob Highland dial up? What's what's Taylor doing now, right? Oh, I, and well, yeah. I'm being kind of facetious, but also serious because you've got an opportunity to draw in a bunch of people who would never watch a football game, never. Maybe a Super Bowl, maybe. Now they're all interested in the Chiefs. They're interested in Travis Kelsey. They're interested in football, and who knows how long that's going to last. It's only going to last as long as the relationship does. But it's great for the NFL. The only downside is the stuff that happened Sunday was the same day they announced that Usher was going to be the halftime performer at Super Bowl 58. Nobody cared about Usher on Sunday. Got upstaged by Taylor Swift. But I think the net benefit to the NFL is so much bigger than that. And I think we're going to see it on NBC and Peacock Sunday night. We're going to see much greater ratings than Patrick Mahomes taking on Zach Wilson would have otherwise generated, Chris. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess so. I, is it gonna? Is it that big of a bump? You think that it's gonna is gonna change the ratings that to that capacity? I don't know. We'll I know. I you know I don't we'll know see. either. We're talking we'll about see. something that's already the king of TV, like by far. I just I, I I understand the excitement, and they should show her. It's gonna be. I mean, she's the biggest star in the world. It's an awesome story. I mean, she better be there for the game. She lives in New York City. She lives over in, like, the East or West Village, right? So it's just across the river. She goes to the Giant game, sees her, or the Jets, you know, Giant Stadium. They call it MetLife now, but it's still Giant Stadium. We know that, Jet fans. And it's going to be Chief Stadium on Sunday night. So uh, especially with Taylor Swift there. Uh, but, yeah, I, I, I would hope that we show her a lot and lean into it. I mean, come on. She's freaking Taylor Swift. It's another stratosphere of superstar coming to a football game right there. I mean, it really is odd to see something outshine Patrick Mahomes. But this storyline really does trump anything the Chiefs can do with Mahomes, with Andy Reid, with all the Super Bowls they've won, only two, but they're going to win more, presumably. This is bigger instantly than Mahomes. Instantly. So uh, I, I think, I think that, that there will be repeated shots of Taylor Swift. I think the numbers will have a palpable increase 
above what we would have expected for not getting Aaron Rodgers versus Patrick Mahomes. I mean, this was a non-flexible turd after Aaron Rodgers got injured the first Monday night of the season. It's one week or two weeks before the break glass and event of emergency options to flex a different game into that spot. And without this other angle, who knows what it's going to do. Yeah, it's the Jets, and maybe people are hate-watching the Jets who are otherwise fans of the team, and it's Patrick Mahomes, but it still was going to be less than it would have been with Aaron Rodgers. And there's nothing anybody can do about it because you can't flex it out. Now you throw this in, Chris, and I think that whoever crunches those numbers on a regular basis, maybe it's something that weather people do when they're, uh, when they're not predicting the weather. But uh, whoever looks at those numbers in close detail, I think is going to see there was a tangible bump from this whole Taylor Swift subplot. Yeah, and I, I'll be interested to see. And I, I, I will. Uh, it's it's an interesting experiment to see the the biggest star in the world, her her fan base. Does that translate into you know a rating that's four or five points higher just because of that? I, I that that is like I, I don't I don't know if that will. I don't know. I'm I'm interested too. You know, I got a kick out of all the reactions of just looking on social media and all the Swifties who were trying to figure out football on Sunday, right? I don't know if you saw any of that, right? I know I saw a few different things on Instagram and TikTok where it's like, you know, the whole, the, her whole ha- fan base is trying to learn the game now because she's interested in it and they want to know. Uh, and that's fun, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm just like you, I'm, I'm kind of intrigued to see what kind of bump it is and you know, is it really tangible that way to the TV networks to have Taylor Swift like that there and, and her fan base, you know, knocks things up a million viewers or two million viewers. I and mean, that's crazy if it does. Maybe I'm even underestimating her power myself here. There was a great line in an excellent show, even though it's not on Peacock. I still have tastes that extend beyond where I get my paycheck from. The Bear, which you could see on Hulu, which is an awesome Chicago-based, frantic, hectic restaurant show. But my wife and I have been watching it, and the other night one of the characters says to his daughter, I love Taylor Swift too, I just needed a break. (laughs) It's just funny because all these little girls love Taylor Swift, and not just little girls, older, and it's, it's both genders. I mean, she is a massive superstar. But the guys already watch football. The NFL has been trying for years to get more women to enjoy football, and the percentages have been going up and up and up. This just opens a whole new stratosphere of kids who otherwise would not care. And they're going to care because they're going to get a glimpse of Taylor Swift live on TV. What is she wearing? What is she doing? What is she saying? All that stuff. It's natural. It's predictable. And I think the numbers are going to be... They're going to be bigger than you think, Chris. I think the bump is going to be significant if she's at that game. And, again, she reportedly will be. Yeah, it's, it's cool. Hey, listen, she, she obviously likes football and has a clue. That's what I tell the Swifties anyways. Hey, your god queen here is from Pennsylvania and loves football. So, you know, jump on no matter what. All right? It's a pretty damn good sport. And, and uh, I'm yeah, I, I, it's going to be fun. Hey, NBC, Sunday Night Football, you know, we know how to highlight the stars. That's for sure. And uh, I'm sure that we're going to get some good shots of Taylor Swift in the stadium throughout the game. And, 
you know, we'll see where it goes from there. But I'm excited for the game regardless. We got some drama around this game. It is Sunday night football. It is the Chiefs of Patrick Mahomes and Kelsey and Taylor Swift. And then we have the never-ending drama of the New York Jets to go along with it, right? I mean, they're a walking soap opera right now. So, you know, add that into that. I think it all gives us a little intrigue and bump for the game. So I'm, I'm excited to see where it all goes here. Before we pivot to the drama that is the New York Jets, Pete has added this perspective, the New Heights podcast with Travis and Jason Kelsey had 700,000 views last week. Yesterday's episode already has 1.5 million. So, um, and it's probably not the usual audience checking out Travis Kelsey. What does he look like? How does he sound? What is he going to say about Taylor? What can we glean from anything he may say? And again, it's fine. It's healthy. It's normal. But you have this intersection of the most popular sport in the country and the most popular pop star in the world currently. And it really elevates him and the sport more than it helps her. So we'll see how high it goes. We'll see how low the Jets go at the quarterback position. They finally brought someone in. Trevor Simeon joins the team. He's expected to be inactive this week for the Chiefs game. Here he is answering the question of how long it will take for him to pick up the Nathaniel Hackett offense. Tough to say. You know, I, I couldn't give you, a, you know, a week or two weeks. Um, you know, I think, like I said, as a backup quarterback in this league, it's kind of your challenge is how fast you can pick things up. And uh, I'm anxious to get started and get the verbiage, get to know my teammates a little bit. So um, definitely not overnight. Did you view this as an opportunity where you might have a chance to play? Uh, again, I didn't have a lot of a lot of expectations. Um, yeah, no promises were given or anything like that. Um, you know, these guys had two quarterbacks. They needed a third quarterback. Um, I had some good conversations, and uh, here I am. So I'm excited to get to work. So Trevor Simeon there and excited to get to work, and who knows if and when he'll be playing. For now, it is Zach Wilson. They're sticking with Zach Wilson. I don't know that Simeon has the cachet to take over that job, but sometimes you just got to have somebody else, somebody different, somebody new. There's so much criticism of the Jets right now, and Robert Sala is supporting Zach Wilson. I, I don't think he has much of a choice. Again, Trevor Simeon was available to any team for a reason. He's not a guy that's had a high degree of success. He's just kind of a stopgap. Let's get us through a few games. Let's get us through a month. Let's get us through a quarter, whatever the case may be. We'll see. And again, Chris, the thing that we all lose sight of, that offensive line. Nobody's going to play well behind that offensive line. That's the thing that doesn't get mentioned nearly as much as it should when we're trying to figure out how the Jets can all of a sudden flip a switch and be better than they've been. No, yeah. I mean, Zach Wilson hasn't been good. I, 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 you know, the, I'm not going to sit here and try to make excuses for it, but there's not many. Nobody would really be very good behind that. I mean, we're preparing for the game. You know, we, we, you know, I mean, you go through the game itself and you looked at things and you go, wait, nobody open. Oh, 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 okay. Let's talk about, oh, wait, n- no pass protection. Oh, wait, they kept eight guys in the block. They still couldn't protect. I mean, it, there's not a lot of other success factors going on here. You know, it's not like Kansas City's watching the film this week going, man, Zach Wilson missed wide open people all over the field. They're looking at a team that's going, damn, they can't protect and their guys are on lockdown. You know, there's a few underneath throws that maybe Zach Wilson had some pressure and he could have hit a shallow cross for a gain of four. 
all right? But other than that, it's not like there's 20-yard completions downfield that are wide open and Zach Wilson's missing them, right? Now, again, I'm not trying to make excuses for him there. I'm not. But there's just nothing there that's helping that, you know, this current situation out at the quarterback situation. You know, let alone there's, you know, some a lot of chirping and people on the sidelines saying things and people in the locker room. So, yeah, this goes throughout right now. I mean, they built it around Aaron Rodgers. You know, we're going to run his type of offense. He's smart. He's next level. He'll get us in at a lot of good plays. He'll get the ball out of his hands. He'll manage this a little bit. And, yeah, would he have managed it better than Zach Wilson? Certainly, right? But, like, like what, what is – like, do people think that if Aaron Rodgers played last week against the Patriots, like, it was going to be 31-16 to 16 or 31-15? to 15? Like, what was the final score? It was 15-10? to 10? I don't know. If they had Aaron Rodgers, would, would, maybe they win 16-15. Maybe they lose 15-13. I don't look at it and go, oh, wow, you know, he would have saved the day. There's just no way with how everything else looks right now. And I think that's where people are kind of losing a little sight of the context and the situation as we go. I do several different radio spots in local markets throughout the week, and I pick up a lot of trends and issues and questions and themes, and they all want the Jets to trade for Kirk Cousins. And I don't know how else to explain to people that the Vikings aren't going to do that The Jets don't have the draft capital or the other assets to make it happen. Well, I mean, what are the Vikings going to do? Just give up on the season? Yeah. Oh, and next year, too. We're just going to give up. We're definitely going to get the top pick of the draft. So we'll just, because the Jets fans want it, we'll just abandon our plans as an organization and stop evaluating and do it. I know. It's crazy Jet fan shit talk. And that they're the kings of that. They are. It's it's like, but it's all it's all across the country. Well, these radio hosts in in Seattle brought it up yesterday. Well, yeah, because it, some it, guy said it on a Thursday night pregame show, and then and now everybody's like, wait, that guy said it, so let's all jump on it. And it's like, well, yeah, I don't know, that guy said it. I don't so, but where's some tangible evidence that it's a real thing? Hey, they should trade for this starting quarterback. Oh, okay, yeah, that team will just give away their starting quarterback. The Jets need one. They'll just say the hell with the season. Go ahead. I mean, it's it's kind of crazy how things boil up. If I was Kirk Cousins, I wouldn't waive my no trade clause to go to the Jets. I wouldn't want anything to do with that. Of course not. Look at the offensive line. Right. They're worse than the Vikings. He's why why are you going to uproot your life and potentially have a worse season than you're having in Minnesota? Even if they end up four and thirteen, he's going to have a great statistical season, and somebody out there is going to pay him way too much money when he becomes a free agent again. In March, why do you want to screw that up by going into a spot where if everything goes well, then Aaron Rodgers is healthy and they're going to talk about benching you so Aaron Rodgers can play? I mean, I think that's one of the reasons. This doesn't get discussed A hundred percent. I've tried and to say this to people, I, yeah. I still, I still don't think the Jets have the ability to get a high-end backup or a starter from another team. I don't think they want to mortgage the future any more than they already have. But if you do get Kirk Cousins, if you do get Matthew Stafford, he was the plan B to Rodgers back in, in March. If you get one of those guys and you get to the playoffs and Aaron Rodgers comes running out of the tunnel saying, I'm ready to play, what do you do? What do you do? And if you piss off Aaron Rodgers and don't let him play, maybe he does retire after one year. 
and doesn't come back for 2024. He's got so much power over that team right now. Yes, that's right. From the pay cut that he took, dangling the hope that he's going to play in 2024, I think one of the reasons that they can't go out there and get or even try to get a better option than Zach Wilson is if it works with that guy, then what do you do with Aaron Rodgers if Aaron Rodgers is ready to come back and play? It's easy to tell Zach Wilson, go back to your prior position of being on the bench. It's going to be very hard to tell anyone else that you go out and get to do the same thing if that guy is the one who turns this around. Yeah, no, agree. That, that's, uh, I've kind of been saying that from the start. That, that's where it's, it's, you know, they're not going to go get a marquee player and have more, create more issues for their football team in the offseason because of what you, you laid it out, right? Roger still has a lot of power in this position. He's, he's still the guy going forward here. So they're, they're not going to get any marquee, let alone it's going to be hard to find, like we talked about, anybody marquee where they're going to go, oh, yeah, we'll trade our starting quarterback and just you know fall to shit so you guys could have our starting quarterback. That's, that's just not going to happen. It's not realistic. If you remember, I think the day after the Monday night football game, I said Trevor Simeon. He was one of the first guys I brought up. He's been in this system. It should be a pretty easy transition. He's been in a West Coast offense almost his whole career. So that's where it makes sense. And then, you know, he's not a threat to Rodgers, nor is he a threat to, oh, wait, we got to bench Zach Wilson right now for Trevor Simeon. It makes a lot of sense from all those. So he's not a name. He doesn't have that cachet that adds more pressure to the situation. But yet he's a guy that has played, and if you need him and Zach Wilson does fall apart or gets hurt, now at least you got a guy to go, okay, wait, we, he's been there, he's done that, and it gives us a little bit of an insurance policy. And that's why they made that move. But, yeah, you laid it out, right? You know, one, there's no marquee guys to be had out there. Two, there's still the Aaron Rodgers thing hovering over the whole organization, and the Jets are going to be delicate to that for sure, at least for the, the current time being here. Because they need him to come back next year. Because if he's not coming back next year, maybe Woody Johnson does fire everybody and start over again. But having Rodgers back next year saves Robert Sala, saves Joe Douglas for one more year at a minimum, maybe longer than that. Okay, speaking of Aaron Rodgers, he's going to be doing the Pat McAfee show every Tuesday, just like he has for the past few seasons. This week, Rodgers said that some players on the team need to grow up a little bit. Robert Sala, at his Wednesday press conference, was asked about Rodgers' remarks. Here's what Sala had to say. I've said it with, uh, with Aaron. He's, he's as much of a coach as, uh, as he is a player, and he's been around youth, and he's been around uh, adversity, and he's, he's seen it all. And uh, um, So, you know, for him to recognize that and, and talk through it, I, th- I think he's, he's not wrong in that we've – you know, when you have frustration, uh, it's easy to, to kind of look for answers when sometimes the, the most important answer is inward. And that's, uh, and that's the only way you can defeat adversity is to look inward and find, find ways to be, the, be your personal best. So um, as it pertains to what he said, you know, it's, he's not wrong. But at, at the same time, it's, uh, uh, it's just a bunch of young guys showing a little bit of frustration. So they'll be all right. Yeah, and look, it will be helpful to have Aaron Rodgers back in the building. And he dropped that hint on Tuesday that he may be at the game, which would make him only the second most famous person not playing in the game to be at the game. But they need him back there. They need him to be around. They need him to influence Zach Wilson. They just need 
to have someone that can say things and the players will listen because they're in awe of him. They're still in awe of Aaron Rodgers. So the sooner he's back and the sooner he's influencing them the right way, saying the kinds of things he was saying on Tuesday, if he's saying those things directly in the locker room, it's going to help just stabilize things. It doesn't mean things are suddenly going to be better during the games, but you avoid this sense of, of the sky is constantly falling. The fans are that way, which is just mind-boggling because what did you expect when the guy that made you a Super Bowl contender is gone after only four plays of one game? But I think the players need to get away from that, and maybe the fans get away from it too. Maybe they need to use Rodgers more as an emissary. Maybe instead of having Robert Sala be the one to stand up and take the heat for Zach Wilson, maybe Rodgers needs to support Zach Wilson more and say, you know, He's he's under pressure a lot. You don't want to throw the offensive line under the bus, but maybe it's more persuasive to the fans if they hear it from Rodgers. I mean, if they're going to listen to Joe Namath piss and moan about, about Zach Wilson, why not counter that with Aaron Rodgers boosting Zach Wilson up, Chris? Yeah, I, I mean, you know, y- yes, they, they certainly could use him there. Some veteran leadership. You know, a guy that, you know, can certainly talk some sense into guys, calm them down, you know, add a little fear in the locker room, right? I mean, th- that's that's where they can use him more than anything, you know. Yeah, certainly he can answer some things about, you know, the team itself, maybe to the media and, and calm down some of the talk that is like a lot of nonsense from people who really don't know what the hell they're talking about, but they've been given a microphone and they make these grandiose comments and they're clueless. Yeah. It's like, that's where he can add, you know, two cents. But the, the heart of the problem is still goes back to the same thing we talked about last year. The Jets have all these talented guys. They got a lot of renegades. They, you know, and I, we like that. They're, they're physical. They fly around, but like the the sideline, the locker room, the state of the union addresses by some of the young guys where you go, you, you haven't done Jack Diddley's squat in the league and you're talking like you should be the focal point of the offense and you're telling the organization how things should be done. And that's where things have gone crazy with the Jets a little bit. And that goes back to Robert Sala. That's something where he has got to stop. He's got to stop and su- make a point or something here of stopping guys from having outbursts on the sidelines, outbursts with the media after the game, outbursts with the social media on that on the uh, after the game, it, that all adds to this. Now let Johnny Jet fans spout off and have something more to say, and it just adds to this whole thing of dysfunction here. And that's where you know the Jets themselves and Rodgers can help. This needs to get in there and help this situation out a little bit. But I mean, look, it's not. It ain't cool there. Michael Carter going crazy on the coach. Garrett Wilson standing there, kind of laughing at it. Look at him right there. He laughs at what he says. Right? That just that that don't go down in the top organizations in football. That doesn't go down that way. And that's not a good look for the Jets at all. And that's where they gotta. They got to stop this crap because it just adds to the soap opera, a soap opera of the moment here. I think part of the problem is there's so much focus, so much intensity, so much vitriol from the fans. You get Joe Namath chiming in. It just creates this avalanche that the players can't avoid. They get caught up in it, too. That's why maybe having Aaron Rodgers back, saying these things directly, having his presence on the sideline, in the meeting rooms, in the locker room, on the practice field, 
to just kind of get everything to settle down. I That's the best they can hope for. And th- they knew there was a risk he was going to get injured. Nobody expected it to happen four, ga- four plays into the season. Nobody expected it to be season-ending injury. And the fact that it, it might not be, again, that's a factor in, in what you ultimately do because whatever quarterback you find to try to save you complicates the potential return of Aaron Rodgers when he's ready to come back and he's made it clear that he may be ready to come back. Before we take a break, Somebody sent me this. I want to ask you a question as it relates to the ratings for the Bears-Chiefs game. Final score, 41 to 10. Audience, size, millions of viewers. Over, under of 23.95 million. Wow. Average viewers per minute. Over or under? Well, I mean, I feel like you'd ask me that question and it would always be over since you're asking it. But, like, yeah, 1 o'clock game, a Bears-Chiefs, I would think is no, under. 425. Oh, that 425. was a 425, 425. game. Well, then I'm, I'm, I'm going to go over there on a 425 game. I'll go over. 24.32 million viewers with the highest among female demographics across the ages of 12 to 17 and 18 to 49. Yeah, that's amazing. That is the Taylor Swift effect because that was a shit game. It was 41 to 10. It was 34 nothing at halftime for crying out loud. That was not a game. That was an exhibition. That was Harlem Globetrotters against the Washington Generals. There was no reason to be compelled by the game. And they had 24.32 million viewers, average per minute, with the highest demographic Females, 12 to 17, 18 to 49. I think we're going to get – is it too much to think we'll get 30 million Sunday night total I, viewership? I, I, the Jets, I, Chiefs? Yeah, I don't that, – They a, used to be when – when I first came to NBC, we'd be kissing 30 million from time to time, and I'm sure it had something to do with my involvement that that's not the case anymore. But but I, is 30 crazy? Well – like with, where, with how where this whole we, Taylor Swift thing is taking off? I don't think 30's crazy. Where are we really averaging? I mean, right? The 425 game does the biggest rating every week, right? Uh, that that that's a we know that's a given. What is? I don't even know what we average usually on Sunday Night Football. I would think it's going to be a bump, right? And I know I you saw you write an article the other day, right? Of uh, like what was the highest watch Monday Night Football game? It was the 1990 Giants 49ers game, right? When both teams were 10 Giants and 1. 49ers. What was that number at? If you don't mind me asking, if you can remember. Well, I can't. I can't remember, but I can find it if you if you let me. Okay, well I'll filibuster a little search. bit. But yeah, 30 19, seems no, high. I, I, but yeah. 30 seems high. Uh, you know, but but I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm not going to doubt anything with Taylor Swift and the following. I mean, listen, I've never seen a summer like we just saw. I've never. I grew up in the era of Michael Jackson and Madonna, and for the 90 days of summer. Taylor Swift dominated 75 of them. I mean, literally, every day on my social media, new concert, people crazy. You can have a concert outside the concert. There were so many people at all these venues. So, I mean, she took over the world. I I wouldn't be shocked by anything. This is one that I forgot that happened just last year. Cowboys-Giants on Thanksgiving drew $42 which was just more than the 1990 49ers Giants 41.474 million viewers. I think 30 when you factor in Taylor Swift, 30 
is doable. I think we had like almost 28 for the Chiefs Lions game to right. start the I season on right. Thursday night. Right. Right. I think 30, I think 30 is doable. I think it's definitely doable. Let's go ahead and take a break. When we return, we'll have more on Kelsey and Swift, just not that Kelsey and that Swift. <laughs> Every For segment commanders has to have Swift. Eagles <laughs> and other week four matchups next here on PFT Live. Uh, seen the highlight plenty of times this week of your no look to Devon. Mm-hmm. Um, how much and how far do you practice throwing with your your off right? Um, not not I, I don't I don't really practice throwing with my my right hand. Um, but yeah, shoveling. I mean, I never I never thought of it as throwing with my right hand for a touchdown pass for those two shovels, but it's what it was. <laughs> So that was cool. Two, two left and two right. Has it ever, has it ever been done in the NFL? <laughs> it's a valid question. To talk about Loa and look, the right-handed shovel pass a lot easier than throwing the ball right-handed when you're a lefty and putting spin on it and all of that. But it, I don't think it's ever been done. I've never heard it. I've never experienced. It. I've never seen anyone talk about someone using the offhand. The closest we had was like Patrick Mahomes during one of those hair on fire moments, flipping the ball kind of ungainly with his other hand. Right. And it got completed. This was that this was this was almost like a basketball pass. That's right. Where, you know, when you play basketball, you can do a one handed pass with either hand because you're just shoving it. And that's what he did. He just he just shoved it. He just flipped it. You can you can do that with both hands. If you're a professional athlete, you can do that with your offhand. Yeah, no, I mean, you'd like to you'd like to think you could, right? I mean, that's slick, though. I, mean, I think it does speak to, you know, the, that point guard element we talk about with Tua so often. And that's really what he is like there. I mean, he moves around, boom, boom. But, yeah, that looks like, you know, you know, showtime at the forum back in the day with Magic Johnson. No, look, coming out. Oh, there, damn, there's Byron Scott. Boom, they're on fire. I mean, it's pretty sweet. It really is. And that's where he's... He's damn good in that department, wheeling and dealing and finding little spots and, and holes to throw it in. And, you know, he's got great touch and feel that way. That's where, you know, he has uh, certainly improved his game. And, damn, that, that offense with all they do and, you know, the way he's playing, holy crap, Batman, they're fun to watch. All right, let's preview some of these week four games with a little what's more likely. We'll start with the 3-0 and Dolphins at the 2-1 and Bills. What's more likely? The Dolphins win in a defensive struggle or the Bills win in a barn burner. Those are your two choices. What's more likely? Ooh, I think if I had to choose one there, I'd go Dolphins win in a defensive struggle, right? I, I, I don't know. I, I just don't feel like anybody can outshoot out the Miami Dolphins. That's just kind of the way I feel. Or I got to see it to believe it first. That's That's where I'd go. But... You know, uh, I, there's a certain, I think, number I look at where if it goes past that, that favors a game for the Dolphins. I think once we start to get to, you know, past 24 or 27, that range, I start to go, well, that's Miami Dolphins football. They, they'd love to be in a 38-34 type of game and have it be the, the fastest game on turf and whatever else because they're, they're going to win it if it's that way. Uh, and that's saying a lot because I know it's Josh Allen and he's always dangerous. But, yeah, that, that's kind of how I look at it, Mike. I'm, uh, I'm interested for this one. I, I can't wait for this one. It's one of the best games of the weekend, in my opinion. 
last year when they played early in the season in Miami, remember it was hot, and we saw a great shot during the Dolphins-Broncos game of how that that sun and how that positioning really helps the home team because they're in shade right about from the start of the game, and then the shadow works its way across the field, and the the team on the other sideline just bakes for the whole game. Buffalo this time around. I also agree it's more likely to be a defensive struggle because I think the Bills need to make it a defensive struggle. They need to slow it down. They need to make some stops. They can't get into a shootout with the Dolphins because I think if they try to do that, excuse me, the Dolphins are going to end up beating them, but um, the Dolphins may beat them anyway. The Dolphins are the best team on paper in the entire AFC right now. That doesn't mean the Bills are, are, are destined to lose. No. But That's right. after five years of the Bills being the best team in that division, there's a new sheriff in town in the Miami Dolphins. And when you and we've talked about this before, if you do the check marks at all the position groups and all the relevant categories, the Bills are going to have most of them. And I mean, the, the Dolphins, excuse yeah, me, right. completely contradicted my point. Mm. But the Dolphins are going to have most of them and they are the better team going in. Whether or not that means they'll beat the Bills, we'll see. This is game of the week. Yeah. This is right. the best game of the day. Yeah. I mean, at least the, this is the most anticipated game of the day, whether it comes to fruition remains to be seen Chris. yeah no I'm, I'm i'm with you there and and you know again who knows because again with josh allen and you know we saw him play great in week two against the raiders really mature patient whatever last week he was you know towing that line of like aggressive but not reckless and holy crap did he make some unbelievable plays to beat the commanders so you never want to count the the bills out and the other thing too i'll bring up is just that Listen, they're not going to get – Denver, I don't know what they were doing on defense last week. You watch that film back. They broke so many rules and did so many things wrong. It's hard to even figure out what they were doing on some plays. I mean, it's ridiculous. Uh, how many times the guy who's supposed to set the edge in the run game didn't set the edge and let somebody bounce out, and there's the corner going, wait, i got to take on the lead blocker and tackle Mozart here, and there's nobody else here to help me? I mean, the defensive game plan was absurd last week. That ain't going to happen with this group here. McDermott is, as you've heard me say for years, he's kind of the king of, like, I don't know what coverage that is, but he's got everybody dropping where they're trying to throw the damn ball. And he's smart, and they're really good at passing people off in zones. And, of course, their defensive front has really showed up and dominated the last two weeks. So that's where you give them a fighting chance. They do got the smarts and X's and O's, I think, to slow some things down. And, you know, the Jimmys and the Joes up front have been kicking some ass there. And that's, you know, if they can keep it manageable, I'll, I'll never count Josh Allen and company out. All right, Ravens at Browns, both teams 2-1. and one. The Browns have looked great two of their three games, unstoppable defensively. What's more likely, Lamar Jackson rushes for 100 or more yards or Miles Garrett, who had three and a half sacks last week, has three sacks of Lamar Jackson when Baltimore and Cleveland get together? Yeah, I, this, this is a good one here. I'm going to go with Miles Garrett gets three sacks. I think that's the one I'm going to go with. I just don't imagine... Lamar being able to run against this group. And if I'm Cleveland, I'm going, I'm stopping the run game and Lamar running. And I want to see this pass game beat me right now. Because we've seen, you know, two quarters so far of the pass game looking real good. And that was against the Bengals with, with the Baltimore Ravens. But other than that, it has not looked like anything special to this point. 
And they have offensive line injuries with the Baltimore Ravens. You know, where's what's Ronnie Stanley's health status this, this week? I'm not sure there either. But Miles Garrett so far, I mean, him and, and Michael Parsons have been the two best defensive players in the league. I mean, he's playing at an MVP or, you know, NFL defensive player of the year type of level right now, Miles Garrett. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's more likely he gets three sacks. I don't see any quarterback rushing for 100 yards against that defense. They are it fast. It makes it even more stunning that the Steelers found a way to win that game because it the is. Browns are looking pretty good. They were a huge wild card entering the season. And what they did to the Titans on, on Sunday woke me up. That defense is incredible. And Deshaun Watson starting to look a little bit like the guy yeah, who right. played for the Houston Texans right. through 2020. All right. Uh, we're going to do Patriots-Cowboys next. Before we do the what's more likely, here's Ezekiel Elliott, the former Cowboys running back now with the Patriots, on facing his old team. It's cool going back to Dallas. You know, I, I spent a lot of time there. It's a lot of great times there, but, I mean, I think you got to keep the main thing the main thing, and that's, uh, you know, going out there, getting better as a team, and going out there and get another win. Uh, you know, I'm very appreciative. I'm very appreciative for the time, you know, I spent in Dallas, you know, I'm very thankful for, uh, you know, Mr. Jones and the Jones family, you know, drafting me and giving me an opportunity. Um, but, you know, once again, I'm, you know, I'm focused on going and getting the win. Think on the football side of things, Coach Schottenheimer this week was asked about you and also. I mean, I keep saying it. This is another week for me. Uh, not going to make it bigger than what it is. Uh, I want to go out there and play Patriot football. I want to go out there. We want to get better. We want to get a win. It's just the next stop on our on our 17-game journey. That's the right way to look at it. Look, the Cowboys, doesn't matter who it is. They just need to get a win. The Patriots need to get to 2-2 two and two after getting the win last weekend over the New York Jets. So what's more likely as Elliott goes back to Dallas, back to AT&T Stadium, to play on the field where he was a star for so many years? Is it more likely the rushes for over 60 or under 40, Chris? Yeah, I, it's always so hard with the Patriots, right? Because you're just never sure who's going to get, like, the lion's share of the carries here. But I'm going to go over 60. I am. You know, one, I think it's, it's, it's the biggest avenue or way that the Patriots can beat the Cowboys, as we saw last week. You know, the same thing we worried about with the Cowboys last year is still kind of a concern as we go here. Are they big enough up front that – they can stop some of these powerful running football teams from just running it right down their throat. And last week, the Cardinals caused some issues, you know, with some of their formations. It didn't allow the Dallas Cowboys to totally load the box the way they could. And they don't have enough big people or quality big people that, that can shut it down. Mozzie Smith, the first-round pick, he doesn't pop at all through three weeks. You know, Jonathan Hankins is their other big defensive tackle. He's kind of a career journeyman. And, and you know, so that's where there's a little weakness there. And I would think that, you know, with the Patriots and, and knowing that pass rush of the Cowboys, that they're going to run the ball a lot to kind of control things here and kind of make it that type of football game. Elliott did have 80 yards last week on 16 carries against the Jets. And I'm with you. I think he'll be over 60, not under 40. And, I think Bill Belichick recognizes the, yeah, the value, that's right. the emotional right. boost right. that he's going to have, and he's going to run harder than maybe he otherwise would in some other place. So, yeah, you give him a few more opportunities to do his thing because maybe he's more likely to, to pop one and help flip the field and keep the Patriots in the game. Last one, Commanders 2-1 and one at the 3-0 and o Eagles. What's more likely? 
the Washington front seven steps up, or it's a different kind of Kelsey and Swift show? Ooh, <laughs> that's a good one. Um, hmm, this is, I, you know, I, I think I'm going to have to go with the Kelsey and Swift show, the other kind. It, it's not easy, this one. I mean, we saw last year the commanders, you know, they know how to slow down the running attack a little bit of the Philadelphia Eagles. Now they went all in on the first time they matched up against them last year and that it was just one-on-one jump balls to AJ Brown and Devonte Smith. And they just came down with one after another. The second game, they found a little bit more of a balance in stopping both. But listen, like you heard me say on Tuesday morning, I've never seen anything like it. Not in modern day football here. We have not ever seen a team like this in the la- in this century that can just go, here's the same running play, every play, every play, every play, and we're going to run it down the field, and there's nothing you can do about it. I've never seen a team that can do that. Like I said on Tuesday, it brings you back to the Cowboys of the early 90s, and I don't even think they were this dominant like this. So that's where uh, I'll go with the other Kelsey and Swift show, Mike. Yeah, I I agree with you. Look, the the Eagles are just unstoppable right now. That offensive line is so good. There's been so much talk about the quarterback push play. If you take that out of the game, they're still going to get a yard whenever they need to get a yard. They're going to get 10 whenever they need to get 10. They're going to get whatever they need to get whenever they need to get it, and they can tell you what the play is. And those five guys are going to create the hole, and DeAndre Swift or whoever is going to run through it. Right now it's become DeAndre Swift. So, I agree with you on that. More likely that we're going to see more of the same from the Eagles as they try to get to four. And, oh, remember, only three unbeaten teams right now in the NFL, the 49ers, the Eagles, and the Dolphins. We're going to take a break. When we return, we'll look at some props for Thursday night football. Lions, Packers, we'll do that next year on PFT Live. DraftKings Sportsbook is an official sports betting partner of the NFL, and new customers can bet $5 and get $200 in bonus bets instantly. Download the app and use promo code PFTLive when you sign up. DraftKings Sportsbook, the crown is yours. All right, DraftKings Thursday Night Football props. Let's start with Jared Goff. We slandered his good name earlier by saying that he wasn't good enough to be the guy that took the Rams to the promised land. He's pretty damn good in Detroit. Over under <clears throat> passing yards for Jared Goff tonight, 255.5. Chris, are you over or are you under? Wow, yeah, that's, that's – um, I, I, I feel like I'm going to go under on that. It, it's not by – I mean, that's that's a tough number there. It, it's really like a little dependent on how much the Packers sell out to stop the run and kind of how they look at that. You know what? I'm going to change it. I'm going to go I'm going to go I'm going to go under in this. The more I think about it, the more I feel like, you know, Green Bay up front, they got enough studs this year where I think they could trust them a little bit and they'll play a little bit more for the play action pass to stop that. I'm going to go under. I'm going to go over. It's more fun. Good. It's more fun when there's more passing yards. Life short. I'll go over go for the golf. Over. How about Jordan Love? 230.5. Is the over under for his passing yards tonight? Are you over or under with him? I think I'm going to go under there as well, right? Uh, I mean, again, they're they're very good at setting the line here, but you know, I would I, I kind of look at it going. I think in Green Bay's perfect world, you know, they want to run the ball, and then Jordan Love 
throw for about 210 yards and two touchdowns and you know they don't have to depend on him to throw it 45 times ignite where i think in their perfect world they want to be like 15 for 23 or 24 for 210 yards and just good balanced football so i think i'm going to go with the under there as well with jordan love yeah, 245, 151, and 259 so far this year. I'll go over. I just feel like for him especially, as I said earlier, this is kind of the potential coming out party where he can silence a lot of the haters and the doubters and give everyone a reason to believe that maybe he could be the third link in the chain that goes far to Rodgers to love. Long way to go to get there, but this is his first opportunity to show everyone in primetime what he can do. All right, the receiving props, we'll put those up. Amon Ross St. Brown has the highest number at 72.5. Sam Laporta, we talked about him earlier, most catches through three games for any tight end in league history. 42.5 yards over under for him. And then you've got four different Packers on that list. Any of those stand out to you that you would like the over? I think I look at Dobbs and Musgrave, and I'd go watch out for those two, right? That's where I do think, like, you know, Dobbs, of course, with Christian Watson just coming back, I still think is going to be one of the more focal points of the passing offense. And Musgrave, you know, he's a big, impressive specimen. He could be the guy that because Watson being back and Aaron Jones and and Dobbs being out there where they kind of forget about him a little bit in the game plan because he hasn't been like a staple of their offense yet. So that that's one where, where I look at it in a big way. And then we throw in Christian Watson there too. I mean, 36.5, I'd be shocked if he didn't have one reception that's over 36.5. So, you know, there's three that I, I kind of like in that Green Bay passing offense. I definitely like Christian Watson over 36.5. Unless somebody's got some inside information that he's going to be limited because of the hamstring injury. That just seems awfully low, as does Dobbs. Uh, but there's a certain element of crapshoot, too, because one guy ends up having the big night, the other guy ends up having lesser. But I would go with Watson as my first pick. Um, and maybe Laporta. 42.5 seems low for him, but who the hell knows? Like you said, they do yeah. a good job of setting the lines to the point where you're basically flipping a coin on these. Well, I know that, you know, the more I talk about it and think about it, right. And it's where I sit there and like, I think about the things we just talked about the receivers. I almost want to go back and go, you know what? I will take the over on Jordan love too. And then that's really where I want to go. So I'm really giving the people some concrete answers here. Uh, but yeah, the, the more I think about it from that aspect and then Detroit, the way they've played run defense and all that, I could see Jordan Love with the over and some of these guys having some bigger passing numbers than maybe we uh, we predicted or thought. So I'm changing everything, everybody, over for the Green Bay guys. Who's your favorite to go under? Oh, my favorite to go under. Um, eh, that's, a, that's a good question there. I feel like this is where like Dontavian Wicks could certainly kind of get lost in the shuffle there out of that group there or Jaden Reed. Like one of those guys kind of loses their touches on the I think football. Reed's is too high. Reed's yeah. is too high. Yeah. With, with Watson back, Reed's is too I, high. I think so. I, I think that's the one that jumps out to me too. And, you know, I mentioned that Watson seems low and I, I delved into the idea of inside information. I, I'll just defer to what I wrote yesterday about the Eagles' illnesses from Monday night and how that inside information really can affect bets like this. If someone does know that a Jalen Hurts is sick, 
which no one publicly knew on Monday night, maybe you'd be inclined, if you had that inside information, to bet the under on his rushing yards for that night, and the under would have hit. So uh, just it, it's I don't know when and how it's ever going to be fixed, but there is that potential. When I see that 36-and-a-half for Christian Watson, it makes me think somebody knows that even though he's going to be able to play, he's not going to be featured, he's not maybe 100%, that kind of thing. Because I think that number seems low, and it may be they're trying to to get us to bet the over because they know something we don't, and it is going to be under 36.5. Let's take a break. When we return, feats of strength coming out of week three of the 2023 NFL regular season. We'll do that next year on PFT Live. The Fighting Irish defense is going to defend the goal line. Emeka knows that. He sees that pre-snap. See him working out of the slot here? He initially threatens with full speed, but he's going to slow down right where there's an opening against the zone defense. That defense isn't defending the first down marker, which if you look closely is still inside the five-yard line. They're playing not to surrender a touchdown, which would lose them a game. But Abuka shields the defenders with his body right at that goal line and hauls in a first down. Ohio State, they got to run another play, a play that resulted in a massive, massive win for them because Abuka set them up for that one. Oh, yeah, there's that junkie, that NFL draft junkie, Connor Rogers. That guy's obsessed with it. He's always all over it, showing you projected first-round pick, Amika Egbuka in his weekly Big Ten film breakdown. You can find that full video on your YouTube.com slash NBC Sports channel. And on Big Ten Saturday night this week, we've got the Michigan State Spartans versus the Iowa Hawkeyes. Catch it all on NBC and Peacock starting at 7 p.m. All right. Week four matchup draft, a Thursday staple throughout the regular season. Chris, we don't have a trivia question. Pete has failed. Damn. Again, he's got a spot for one, but he didn't come up with one. Hang your head in shame, you stupid effer. So, uh, I'm just kidding. It's an inside joke. Inside joke. Uh, Chris, you get the first pick. Well, I'm going to go to the game of the day in the two Micks, okay? It's it's a Mick versus a Mick. It's the Irish showdown here, okay? And McDermott versus McDaniel, okay? That's going to be great. I really am looking to... That being like a showdown one. I mean, we know Mike McDaniel and that offense and what he's doing. We heard McDermott referencing this week. I mean, it's, it's revolutionary with what they're doing and that talent. And then McDermott and the way the defense has played the last two weeks. And of course he's always had impressive schemes and answers and the way their D lines playing. And I think they have a scheme that, you know, they play zone. They're not going to play a ton of man-to-man and let Tyree kill be in matchups like that. I'm really interested in that matchup of the X's and O's right there between McDermott and McDaniel. Oh, absolutely. And um, we apologize to our friends in Ireland. Chris was just making a joke. You're really trying to get canceled. Be what, trying, what, between is, it, is that? Advocating, is, I, is advocating that a, death and mayhem on Jalen Hurts earlier this week. Which uh, hit, got some notice hit the yesterday. quarterback, okay, and, and then I, is that is that wrong to say? I didn't even. Uh, okay, all right. Mick is a derogatory term. So okay, everything's derogatory. I've given up on the world. Okay, go ahead. You're derogatory. I know. I, and I'm Calvin also Ridley a fellow Irishman. He's not so, derogatory. Yes, yes. Go ahead. 
Calvin Ridley. Calvin, it's a, it's a me. I can talk like this because I'm an Italian. Calvin Ridley. Calvin Ridley gets a chance to play the Falcons. So there's no X's and O angle here. It's just Calvin Ridley, the team that gave up on him at his time of need. They traded him last year to the Jacksonville Jaguars instead of welcoming him back after his one-year suspension for uh, gambling, violating the NFL's gambling policy. He gets a little opportunity, and I still think the whole revenge thing is kind of overplayed because they did what they had to do, but they did dump him. They gave up on him. So he gets a chance to show them what they could have had if they hadn't been so abrupt in trading him to the Jaguars. Yeah, yeah, definitely, right? I mean, he's it's got to be a little bit of a sensitive spot for him there, you know, and the fact that, wait, I'm about to be the star of your football team. They traded Julio Jones away from him because he was going to be the guy, and he gets a little gambling and that issue there, and you know now he's trying to be the guy for, for the Jacksonville Jaguars, right? He's had some drop issues last week that certainly hurt Jacksonville a little bit, so looking for a big rebound for him this week too. Uh, I'm sure he's motivated for, for a lot of different reasons there. Um, the next one I'm going to go to, I'm going to go to that Cowboys, that Cowboys um, Patriots football game. I kind of hit on it, but you know the Cowboys more talented in totality than the Patriots, sure, but I could see this game being uncomfortably close. One, we know the Patriots defense is the real deal. I mean, we, we saw them do a pretty good job against what we're all going is the most explosive offense we've seen in recent history in the Miami Dolphins. So they're smart, they're talented on that side of the ball, but the matchup I really look at to be the difference is that Cowboys D-line versus the Patriots offensive line. If the, if the Patriots can run the ball and control the clock and Ezekiel Elliott and Ramondre Stevensons can, you know, four yards and five yards and keep Cowboys offense on the sideline a little bit there, they can pull off the upset in Dallas. They definitely can. So that's, to me, going to be something to watch for. It's just Dallas and how they stack up against the Patriot run game. Saints and Buccaneers get together in New Orleans on Sunday. It's looking like Derek Carr is likely not going to play. Assuming he doesn't play, Jameis Winston facing his former team with early season lead in the division on the line. We don't know what's going to happen with the Falcons and Jaguars. We'll know by the time that the Bucs and Saints get started because Falcons-Jags is the 9.30 a.m. game. But the idea that Jameis get a chance to go against the Buccaneers – go toe-to-toe with Baker Mayfield, and it didn't go well last week once Jameis came into the game. The 17-0 lead evaporated under his watch as the quarterback after Derek Carr was injured, so it's an opportunity for him to, you know, not that they're feeling a whole lot of regret of moving on from Jameis Winston because it worked out well for them. They won a Super Bowl with Tom Brady the first year after they dumped Jameis, but it adds a little spice, adds a little intrigue to an impactful and important game in the NFC South. Yeah, no, it, it, it definitely does. I mean, you know, that was a heartbreaking loss for the Saints, right, last week. Had control of the game. The Bucks. I mean, that was a disaster as far as the way they played. They were totally dominated there. I think we think we're, they're better than what they showed on Monday night. Uh, but, yeah, this is one of those games where it's like, ooh, they need to, they need to right the ship a little bit here because, uh, you, you know, you don't want things to spiral, spiral out of control. We're going to take a break. One more pick each in the matchup draft for week four. We'll do that next here on PFT Live. 
All right, one more round matchup draft week four. Chris, you're up. Well, I think the next one I'm going to go to is is the Eagles, the the almighty Eagles, right? Last year, they were upset at home by the Washington Commanders. Why was that? Because the Washington Commanders D-line was phenomenal. We know they have that potential to take over football games. They do. You know, that's the one I'm going to look at, the Eagles O-line versus the Washington D-line. You know, Washington could be dangerous on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, they end. I don't know if they can protect Sam Howell well enough, maybe no matter how long or how good their defensive line plays, but their defensive line plays like it did last year, especially in that second matchup. You know, that game could be a little bit more uncomfortable for the Eagles than they would like. Uh, that's something to watch for, of course, with, you know, four first-rounders on that damn D-line. They're legit in Washington. I'm doing a big-picture combo platter here. There are four teams that have yet to win a game, Ooh. each 0-3. They play each other. Not all four. Right. Two play each other, two play oh. each other. So two teams are going to be 0-4, and, and they're going to be desperate. And if it's the Vikings, 0-4 becomes 0-5 because the Chiefs come to town next week. And the Vikings, I'm told, have not been 0-5. I haven't independently confirmed this, but I'm told they haven't been 0-5 since 1962, their third year of existence. So that may be coming for the Vikings if they can't beat the Panthers. And Bryce Young fully participated in practice. And the Vikings' defense is too damn predictable, Chris. I wrote something about that yesterday with some quotes from Keenan Allen and some of the stats from Next Gen Stats. The Vikings blitzed 82% of the time. Justin Herbert dropped back and... He picked them apart. Yeah, I know. Well, they're in a little bit of a tough spot. They don't have a good pass rush when they rush four. So it's like, do we want to let them have all day or do we want to have a little gamble here and maybe get there? That's where the talent of the football team is still not that of on the defensive side of the ball of a top-tier defense. But you're right. It's a big one for some of these 0-4 teams. Man, Broncos and Sean Payton, they go on four. What happens? Mega Picks podcast coming later today. We'll see you then. See ya. Have a good one.